Good day and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and I want to thank C Suite Radio and C Suite TV for their support and sponsorship. I truly appreciate you. And this is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others, and together we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. living in months of darkness, the temperature hovers around minus 35 degrees and you're stuck inside with no way in and no way out. Rachel Robinson will reveal how she kept her team inspired and productive through Antarctica's long dark winter. She explains why respect trumps harmony and how she built a culture of collaboration, integrity and trust where she managed everything from a search and rescue following a plane crash to resolving a peaceful settlement to the bacon war please welcome rachel robertson <laughs> thank you for having me nina good to see your face ah uh, look it was it was march 2019 that we shared the stage in the days when you could have 640 people in an audience sitting close together those were the days. That's actually where we met. And that's where I first heard your fascinating story about leading people in Antarctica. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And also your book, uh, Respect Trump's Harmony. But um, so, so welcome. And um, just, just tell me a little bit about um, what attracted you to apply for a leadership role in uh, in Antarctica, what what was the title of the role that you applied for? I mean, you had your MBA from Melbourne University, um, you had some leadership experience, and you went, "Oh, I think I'll uh, go down to Antarctica." <laughs> How did that all happen? <laughs> it was pretty much. It was hilarious. I, I laugh every morning. I get up and laugh because it was accidental. It was completely accidental, oh. and. It was I saw the job advertised in the newspaper and what intrigued me was that the Antarctic Division, who's the employer, was recruiting for personal quality. So they were recruiting for resilience, empathy and integrity and I had customer service staff at the time and I was trying to recruit for the same qualities and I was struggling. I'm thinking, how, how do you recruit for empathy? How? What's, what's the question I asked Nina at her interview to find out if she's got empathy? So this is the truth. I thought my, my fiendish plan, I'll, I'll apply for the job. I'll hopefully get to the interview stage. And then I'm going to copy all their questions and I'm going to bring them back to my company. I never wanted the job. I never thought I'd get it, never intended to get it. And then they ring me and offer it to me. And I thought, and it was the role of station leader, so leading, managing the whole station. And I thought, you know what, I'd rather regret what I did than regret what I didn't do. And that is the only reason I went was that I'd rather do it and go, oh, my goodness, what have you done then look back 10 years from now going, oh, I wonder, I wonder what would happen. So Exactly. <laughs> Life offers you opportunities sometimes almost from out of nowhere. 
And you're right, you'll regret, you'll always wonder what would have happened had I said yes. And so it, it's um, a, a credit to you, Rachel, that you were willing to get out of your comfort zone. I mean, how much did, do you like the cold? <laughs> I hate the cold and I'd never, I'd never skied. I don't, I'd been to the snow once and it's really, it's really funny because I work with, um, at conferences, I work with a lot of Olympians and people assume that I'm like the Olympians and they think, oh, you must have been training since you were five years old and had all these injuries and it was all about this this persistence to get to this Antarctic expedition. And I'm like, like becoming no. an astronaut or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I was, I was 35 years old and I just saw the job in the, in the newspaper and I had a crack at it. But as you said, I mean, um, not just fortune favours the brave, but you, if you look for opportunities they're there and I just I really truly think I'd rather have a go at something and fail than not have a go at it and and regret you know looking back and going and I say this a lot to emerging leaders who who have haven't much confidence in themselves you know have a go at it it's better to have a go and fail and and find something else rather than not not go it and then you know you, you just keep wondering then and you may surprise yourself at what resilience comes out that you didn't know you had because until you're tested you don't know what metal you're made of isn't that right that, that's absolutely spot on and what the other thing i didn't really appreciate at the time was that leadership skills are transferable so even though i knew nothing about um, Antarctic science I didn't even know there was a science called glaciology and suddenly I'm managing glaciologists and and what I learned was the leadership skills of um, negotiation and performance management and um, consulting and and leading they're all tr- you can transfer them from any setting and so once I recognized that I realized I'm not actually managing a glaciology program or a capital works program I'm managing people and if you're managing people, that's the same leadership role. You can take those skills to any setting uh, as long as you've got those skills in the first place. And that's why the Antarctic Division do it. So they recruit specifically for leadership experience and then teach you. I had to learn the Antarctic Treaty and I had to learn environmental policy and waste management. But you can learn that from a textbook. But the, the, the leadership stuff only comes with experience. You learn from experience. So they recruit for the leaders with deep experience and then they'll they'll teach you everything you need to know about Antarctica, thankfully. <laughs> well, I've got lots of juicy questions to ask you about leadership, but first, I'm really curious about the environment in Antarctica. How cold does it get? How long is it uh, dark? Uh, you know, just, just a little bit about that. Do you see penguins and whales? What do you see? Tell us, give, paint a picture for us. Yeah, it's, oh, look, and I got it wrong. I thought it was completely white. I thought it's just, it's beautiful and white. It's not. The 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 sun in summer, the sun hits these crystals in the sky and they refract light. And so there's greens and pinks and blues and, and colours that don't even have names. And so in summer it's beautiful and colourful and the penguins are there, the emperor penguins and the Adelie penguins and the seals. In winter, it's completely different. Winter, it's dark 24 hours a day. We can't go outside. We're stuck indoors with just the 18 of us. Uh, There's no wildlife. It's boring. It's a groundhog day. It's a completely different setting. There's also, uh, in summer, there's 120 people. So they're all our scientists doing climate change research. So we've got 120 people there in summer. So it's like a big, massive party. It's fantastic. And then in winter, it's a very, for me, it's a very different role. It's around morale and keeping people motivated and um, completely different in winter. But it's a stunning, absolutely stunning, stunning place. 
So what was the biggest crisis you had to deal with during the uh, 12 months you were there? Well, the, the biggest one was probably we had a we had a plane crash. We had a um, a bolt sheared off the landing gear, and I've got I've got four people stranded, um, five hundred kilometres away. Now they had ten days worth of food on board, which is standard operating procedure. But until I could get an engineer engineer out there to fix this plane, they're stuck there. And, and here I am, you know, I've, I've never managed. I'm managing a search and rescue for the lives of four people, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And it, it was just the team were brilliant in a crisis because. For leaders, when you're leading in a crisis like that, it's not just the crisis reaction. You've also got business as usual. So while I'm trying to find a way to get an engineer out there to fix this plane, I've also got another 112-odd people on the station who need to be reassured. And I learned a lot about um, being seen to be leading. So it's not enough in a crisis just to be leading. You actually need to be seen to be leading. So even though my natural instinct was to work with the search and rescue team and rescue these people, work out what are our next steps. I, I made myself leave the control centre and walk around the station and walk into the, the lunchroom and say hi so people could ask me questions and see me. And that seemed to reassure them that it's under control because my natural instinct was to, to stay and manage it. But I realised if they don't see me or hear from me, then they'll fill in the gaps and sometimes the gaps are yes, the work. Yes, because it's like you're withholding information and by being uh, visible, uh, you're leading from the front and yes. if you're calm, they'll be calm. In, in the summer, you had about 120 people. Mm. What uh, is the size of the team? What does it reduce to in the winter? So winter we have 18 people mm. and the, the the very big difference in summer is that it's like a big company and if somebody is irritating you or annoys you or pushes your buttons, you, you can, can avoid them. them. <laughs> you avoid them. You just don't see them for 100. You don't see them. You can just stay clear. But when there's only 18 of you, if someone's pushing your buttons, it's really hard to hide and that's why my... Um, I get my guess my ethos or, or going in. My main goal was I was really frightened that someone would spiral with depression or someone right. would explode with anger because I didn't feel like I had the ability or the the tools to deal with either, either scenario. So I thought, how do I create a culture where we speak up, where we we deal with stuff like adults, right. we speak up, we raise the issue, and then we move on. And so everything I did with this team was designed around creating this open environment where we would speak up and we'd deal with things. And they were such a different team that the diversity was extraordinary, not just across gender and age, but the biggest challenge in diversity was actually thinking preferences. So it was my um, electrical engineer from Germany who was right into the detail of everything as engineers are and, and Germany is quite a precise culture so he was very precise and he's with my plumber from Mudgee who's into approximates and guesstimates and he makes up stuff for a joke and they they really clashed at the start and my job was to actually sh to show them that that's the way their brains operate. They're not trying to irritate you. It's just that they're a different thinking preference and different styles. Yes. Classic, classic Myers-Briggs or classic Herman brain dominance, all that, that stuff that we've learned. Um, but these people had never learned because most of them are tradespeople and haven't done any that kind of training. So my job was to sort of take off the table this mateship, which was really challenging because Australia has this culture of mateship. And I sort of took it off the table and said, you can be mates, that's awesome, but I don't expect it. If, if I don't expect you to love each other, I don't even expect you'll all like each other, I do expect you'll treat each other with respect. And that's why it became the number one thing. Respect was absolutely everything to us, everything. And so that's why you, uh, the title of your book is Respect Trump's Harmony. So uh, tell us about um, 
is there a, such a thing as artificial harmony? That's something that Patrick Lencioni wrote about in his book, The Seven Dysfunctions of a Team. And he, he sort of goes on to talk about, you know, not having fear of conflict. So you don't hold back your opinion just because you're a mate or you're a friend and you don't want to uh, disagree with somebody. Maybe you have to disagree, but you can do it with respect. So tell us how you managed that. Yeah, that's spot on. It's exactly what it was because I worry, I mean, you want harmony in your team, obviously. You want people to get along. But when the two come together, respect has to has to be, has to trump it. Because what happens if you have that forced harmony, the artificial harmony that you, you mentioned, is that things like bullying and harassment still go on. They just go underground. Um, innovation is stifled because people, if we're in a meeting, they're the meetings where people sit there and nod and go, yep, 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 and then walk out and go, that's not going to work because they're trying to keep the peace. They don't want to offer a difference of opinion or a different idea. But I think most importantly in terms of safety and mental health, when you've got that artificial harmony, if somebody is doing something unsafe, people walk past it. They say, oh, I don't want want to get involved. I'll stay out of it. And with mental health, if people are saying, oh, it's like one big happy family and we're really great, no one puts their hand up and says, actually, I'm not so great right now. And, you know, it's an illusion. A team built just on harmony, when it's put under pressure, that's when it shatters under pressure if it's just on that harmony. My team were great. In the plane crash, they were fantastic in, a, in an emergency, but it was never because we loved each other or half of them didn't like each other. It was just because we had a foundation of respect. And it was it was really, for me as a leader, it was a big, it was a big learning because I'd spent so many years trying to get different parties to consensus, you know, to reach that consensus or to reconcile or to come to some agreement. And I realised there are some situations where you don't need to. You just say respect Trump's harmony. You don't have to agree with that person, just respect it. The classic case for us was um, uh, there were a group there who were there working there for the money because it's a very well-paid job. And that really annoyed the other people like myself who were there for the experience and the the, the, the wildlife and the lights and the auroras. And, and one of them said to me, it's really annoying that they are just here for the money and they haven't even left the station once to go and photograph wildlife. And I said, you don't, you don't have to agree with that. Just respect it. Respect that that's their reason for being here. That's okay. Respect Trump's harmony. And I think now of how many times I tried to, to reconcile differences when I could have just said, you don't have to agree with that person. Just respect them. Respect that that's the way they are. Oh, goodness. Absolutely. And and so when when you've got diverse people working towards a common goal, then they can, in fact, realise that respect is more important than harmony. You can agree to disagree. Yes. Um, so how did you actually get them to align to a, to a common goal? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, look, I would love to say here, say here, stand here, Nina, and say this was a brilliant strategic move. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> I, did, I did this because... I started to hear this sort of um, murmuring around what, what what do those plumbers do? Because the plumbers desalinate the water 
um, in summer and that's our drinking supply, but there's no water in winter because it never rains. So I started to hear this, well, what do those plumbers do all day if they're not making water? So I thought, all right, well, let's uh, let's ask them. So we spent an hour with them and we said, look, tell us what you do in a day, an average day, what does the plumber do? And we had a social element. I think they had a spit roast. And then I started to do with each team. So we, we went with the doctor, um, the Bureau, Bureau of Meteorology, I had a day, and we just went through a day in the life. And it really was to break up the boredom of, of 24 hours of darkness. I realised something significant was happening. I didn't realise it at the time. I, I sort of wrote in a journal and I reflected on my journal and I realised what was happening was that question of, of what do they do all day was asked and answered. And so while we knew each other's title and we knew each other's role, this actually meant we knew the task. We knew the exact task that this person contributed to the overall expedition. And it was it was absolutely, I can, my team, I can hand on heart, they could tell you with great confidence what every other member of the team contributed by task, not just title or role. And I've since read some research on it, which shows that um, it's the number two motivator for Australians at work. We want people to know what we contribute and we want that respected. Um, I think salary is number eight. So it's mm. a really strong motivator for people that they want to feel valued at work. And that's what it was. But it was never a brilliant uh, me sitting there strategically. It was like, how do I break up the boredom? But it was only through my own self-awareness and reflection that I realised this is powerful. This is actually showing um, specifically every day what this person does and sort of that that coat hanger, hang hang their their hanger on on top of the overall goal for the expedition. So it was really powerful, but it was all yeah, it was all accidentally powerful. <laughs> yes, well, of course, what you're describing there in the beginning is the silo effect, which is this us and them mentality that starts to appear. And what you've actually uh, created is a is a really good tactic to overcome it, which is just get to know what people are doing. And in fact, uh, when I've sort of worked with teams, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see the silo effect come up and I'll say, well, you teams just need to get together and find out what each other does. <laughs> and often, you know, if, if you get to know somebody, you'll learn to like them and then you start to trust them. So that's no like and trust principle. That's spot on. The other thing I did accidentally, um, just to break up the boredom again, was I had a, a Super Tuesday, which was just, I said, oh, yeah. anyone who's got a special talent um, who wants to teach the community a special talent, put your hand up. And I honestly thought maybe one or two people would put put their hand up. And I put a little note up in the foyer and you could sign up, a sign-up sheet. Within an hour, it was all subscribed. Each, seven, each of the 17 had written something. And we had someone talk about living in Prague for a year. Someone taught digital, digital photography. One of the guys taught uh, Italian, how to speak Italian. And so, again, what that did was build respect in all of us have got these amazing skills and abilities that you don't see at work, um, that we don't bring to work, all these amazing talents. Yes, yes. You don't necessarily <laughs> see at work. And so it brought all of that to the person. So even though you could still sit there and say, look, they're not my cup of tea and I wouldn't choose to hang out with them, but, gee, I've got to respect the fact they speak three languages. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So it was all, everything was to build that respect into the team. And, it, and again, it was a bit controversial at the start because, Typically, the stations were run more along a sort of military um, command and control, you know, mateship kind of setting. And and I've, you know, and I was told by one person um, who'd been before, you know, oh, we're brothers in arms, you know, we die for each other. And I said, well, no, 
we're a federal government workplace. I won't, I won't break a nail for someone else, you know. Like I went, I went, wow, what a weird sort of concept. But um, so I took a more corporate leadership style down there, which was quite early. It was one of the first times that had happened and it was a bit sort of uh, a bit reactionary, but it built respect in the team. It really did. That's fantastic. And what, what would you say is a leader's true role then? Wow, that's a good one. Um for me, for down there, um, particularly, well, well, I'll tell you, I had a, a, a tool, I think you may, may have heard me talk about, called No Triangles, which is. Yes, I, I want to hear about that. Yeah, it's oh, one of look, your team rules. Yeah. It, it, was, it was, I don't speak to you about Nina. If I have something to, to talk to Nina about, I go directly to her. And it was t- designed to build respect in the team and take pressure off me. What I didn't anticipate would be my role as the leader, but which um, the question you asked, what was my role? Um, I spent two months coaching the guys on how to have the conversation. I never anticipated that would be my job. I never did. But when I when I looked at it and thought, look, what's more important, um, if I can give them the skills to have those difficult conversations directly, that takes so much time and pressure off me. It's worth investing in that time. Now, there's no way I thought that's what I would be doing, but it was something that I made a call. If I can coach them around how to approach each other professionally, respectfully, and in, in a timely manner, that's that's going to again, build respect in the team, but also freed up my energy because those conversations are exhausting. And I'd sit there thinking, oh, I need to go and see so-and-so. They're one of my best expeditioners and I haven't spoken to them, you know, for a couple of days. I need to go and say, you're doing great. But I was so darn tired from these conversations that I didn't have the energy. So as soon as I did it, suddenly I've got all this energy and productivity available. It was amazing. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because they were actually dumping on you and you said, no, I won't accept that. You have to have your own conversation, but also you empowered them. Is there a particular uh, template or, you know, four-step process that you uh, succinctly taught them that helped them find exactly the right words to say or...? That's a brilliant question, and there there is, and it's because um, you know a lot of us have had those that training in, in uh, corporate roles, but these weren't corporate people. There was mo- mostly tradespeople and scientists, and so um, I, we 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 came up with this thing called it's called a radar. It's just a language radar, and it's like a, a sonar. You know those submarines that go ping. That's right. Ping, I can so hear the sound in my head. Yeah, I won't yeah. try and I won't yeah. try and replicate it. It's, it's that sound. So what happens is the words that make that sound go off in your head, and they're words like uh, everyone, no one, always, never. So the absolutes. So my never say would, never. <laughs> my team wouldn't come to me and say, "Oh, Rachel, everyone thinks," because straight away I hear the sonar, the ping, and I'm like, "Everyone, everyone." They say, "Oh, well, not this one and not that one." Okay, so it's not everyone. It's you. Same as if you say, um, I need I need to sit, I need to sit with you, I need to talk to you because you're always late for work. The minute always is out of your mouth. I'll say, well, last Tuesday I was 30 minutes early. And then it becomes really emotional. And that's what I had to teach them or coach them to take the emotion out and deal with facts. So the fact is you are due here at 8:30. The fact is you arrived at, at nine o'clock. They're facts. You know, we had a conversation last week. You said there's no reason you can't get to work on time. These are facts. You can't argue with facts. Now, one of the stories you, you talk in your book, you talk about the bacon war <laughs> and the fact that it was indicative of, of a deeper issue. Tell us about that. The, the bacon, I had no idea, honestly, until the, one of the team came to me, the plumber, and he said, we need to have a meeting to decide how to cook the bacon. 
Why? Because the plumbers like it soft and the diesel mechanics like it crispy and we need to have a meeting so you can decide how it should be cooked. And this, I mean, the, on, on a Monday morning. So the chef cooks every other morning. We're only talking about Monday mornings here. And and I got to the bottom of it. I did the um, the root cause analysis, so those five whys, why, 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 I got to the bottom of it. It turns out the relationship between the two teams had broken down over the use of a vehicle and they thought the other team was deliberately cooking the bacon the opposite way to irritate them. And I thought, wow, this has actually got nothing to do with bacon. It's about respect. They're feeling disrespected. And I started and they to created like, a whole story in their head too that was a, a made-up story. It, it was it was because I said, well, I'll, I'll tell you the five wires. So they came and presented. They said, oh, um, can we have a meeting about the bacon because the plumbers keep cooking it the opposite way? So my first why is why is that an issue? Because we've asked them, um, uh, they, don't, they don't listen to anything we ask them to do. Why is that a problem? Because we've asked them not to throw their tools in the back of the ute because it creates more work for us as diesel mechanics. Why is that a challenge? Because we've already got a full work works program. Well, why is that an issue? Because they're creating more work for us by throwing the tools in. Why why is that why does that bother you? Oh, because it's disrespectful. I'm like, bang, there it is. That's what the it was actually about respect. It was nothing manifested in the bacon. And so then we identified all of these little things. And the classic one was um, dirty coffee mugs, you know, and and those offices that you walk into and have they have a sign saying your mother doesn't work here. <laughs> Um, put your dishes in the dishwasher and and people say to me oh it's only dishes and I'm like no it's not dishes it's about it's disrespectful it implies my time's more important than your time so I'll leave my stuff lying around and you can pick up after me but also people it's called the ladder of inference where people assign a motivation behind a behavior that may or may not be true so they've so and then often it, it springs from they're disrespecting me so that's why it's, if you if you can deal with situations, confront with them early, then and fast feedback, then you're going to pre- present uh, uh, prevent that resentment that comes up. So um, yeah, so it seems like you you came up with a really good plan to uh, circumvent that problem. Now I know you've worked with about more than fifteen hundred teams in Australia and probably around the world. Is that right? That's true. Yes. Um, what other leadership insights, as we sort of draw to a close, what other leadership insights do you think our audience of uh, managers who le- and leaders who lead teams, what do you think they need need to, uh, that you can share with them that they might need to know? I, th- I think the big one I hear a lot of where I go is that leaders aren't leading and, and there's things ending up in HR that shouldn't end up in HR. They should never be escalated that far. And I think what we need to be saying, coaching our leaders is, to have that ability to manage issues at, at the source and don't let them escalate. I hear it everywhere. I'll say, how's the team going? And they'll say, well, you know, the, the, the leaders aren't doing the leadership stuff. They're doing strategy, but they're not. It's the people side of it that they're just ignoring. And it's because they we don't like conflict in Australia. But once the whole team commits to it, I mean, well, that's a big statement. A lot of people don't like conflict. A lot of people don't like those no triangle conversations. But for me... Once I got my team, I actually physically got the team to put the hand in the air and commit to no triangles. So 
what you do then is you hold them accountable. You say, I saw you commit to no triangles, so why are you talking to me about it? And you can hold them accountable. And what it means is it sorts out these issues down here before they escalate up to the managers and then to HR, and I hear that everywhere. Rachel, your story is absolutely fascinating. Antarctica is such a magical, mysterious world, and you've um, uh, demystified it for us. But not only that, you've given us some really interesting uh operating principles that any manager can can use, any leader can use in, in working with their own teams. So thank you for your generosity and your conversation today. It was very insightful. Thank you. Thanks. Absolutely my pleasure. And thanks for thanks for the laughs too. I think some of us we sometimes um, need to have a bit of a laugh every now and again. So thank you for making it such a joy. Oh, my pleasure. Well, you're, you're an easy person to speak with. <laughs> thank you. Thanks a lot. This episode, we've been speaking with Rachel Robertson on the Manage Self Need Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. We interview experts who share insights on how to elevate and transform team culture. If you like this podcast, invite a high potential team member who may one day be promoted to a leadership role. Invite them to listen. By becoming a regular listener, they'll build their capability as a leader. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter at Nina Sunday. Tell me you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Ciao for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.